Welcome back to On The Mic with Mike Peters. My guest this week is Krangus Gillespie, a comedian and producer in Biloxi, Mississippi. Krangus has been doing comedy for about eight years. He started out in Phoenix and then moved back to Biloxi and is now a major piece in the scene there. Krangus produces shows and is bringing in Todd Berry to the Juke Joint in Ocean Springs, Mississippi on August 11th. You can get tickets now, so go do it. Please like, share, review, and subscribe to the podcast. If you like what you hear, sign up for the Patreon. It's only five bucks a month. Thanks again, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Take care. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in. Thank you so much, Jones. I appreciate it. Yeah. I didn't tear you away from anything, did I? No, no. I, I just had a meeting with one of the venues. And they they want to do a show. Uh, I'm thinking we're probably about to do a drag, like a comedy drag show somewhere at a gay bar. So, but they're kind of busy. With, it's kind of one of those, they're really busy with pride stuff right now. So I had to watch like a litany of uh, like, it's really funny watching drag performers like do construction. <laughs> they're all like working on the bar and they're like not drag uniform, but I've like seen them before. <laughs> and they're all like working on shit so and like kind of like wait it out and then it'll be a fun show i think i've never done a drag show or a show i did one show at a gay bar and it was great and i don't think it was like i don't know i think the only people i knew were gay were the waiters that there's an era in phoenix where all the best open mics were at gay bars and we always had uh one of them was called cruising seven the guy named gene moore uh ran that one and uh they always it always was followed up by Big Girl Nights. So it was always like the and they were dude most of the time they were funnier than any of the comedians with like TV credits. Like, these are funny people. Isn't that frustrating though? Like yeah, I, it's frustrating, like, but fuck it, they're the ones that are bringing the crowd. I know. I whenever I've been hosting open mic for like five years, and whenever I get a new comedian up there, I want them to do well. I want everybody who touches the mic to do well. Yeah. I just don't want them all to do better than I am doing. Yeah, like, it'd like, be like, like that. There's a competitive edge to me where I'm like, yeah, man, you got, all right. I like that everybody came to see you, but uh, where are they for me? That's the hard part. Cause I'm at this point, moving back to Mississippi, I came back, there wasn't any comedy. And I, so I was like, I have to start it. So I started it. So I had to kind of, I still perform obviously, but I, I'm more of a producer now, which sucks because somebody will do, they'll do better than me. And I'm like, motherfucker. But at the same time, it's like, well, this is great for the fucking show. What am I complaining about? You know, yeah. obviously you don't, but like and it's still a thing where you like this isn't a logical thought process but you still have that emotion wasn't it dave Chappelle that said uh it's like like watching another comic on stage was like watching somebody fuck your girlfriend i think so yeah and it's exactly the feeling i have like like i'll host a show and i I pretty much host everything i produce and i book a ton of stuff so i want everybody to do really well and i want ideally i want everybody to do better than i am doing yeah, if you're hosting and you're doing the best, that's not a good show. No, you don't book it well. So, but, <laughs> but man, I will never get out of my mindset where I'll the headliner do a half an hour, and obviously he's a headliner for a reason, or she's a headliner yeah. for a reason. But I want somebody to come up to me and say, "Hey, good job, man!" Like, yeah. like everyone's up. But what I've done is that I bring all the equipment. So rather than let my anxiety take over at that point, I just go put away my equipment. And yeah. just avoid standing in a line waiting to be thanked. And because I've been yeah. there before and that's not a comfortable feeling. Do I, you know, I've done that because I used to work on the brewery comedy tour and there was a lot of time I've been on both sides of it where people are, they don't realize they're being fucking ridiculous. Like I've had it to where I'm featuring 
And somebody walks up to both of us and goes, looks at me and goes, you're better than the headliner. And I go yeah. in front of the guy and I'm like, uh, like, I don't know what am I supposed to say today? Like, yeah, I am. Fuck you. I am the headliner now. But then I've also been in the other side of it where somebody said that about my feature. And it's like, people just don't know how ridiculous. Like, dude, you're really like trying to pit two people against each other. Right yeah, I did my first guest spot at a comedy club. Uh, it was, dude, it was just a guest spot. And mm-hmm. the headliner was super cool. He had opened for Pauly Shore the last couple nights. Mm-hmm. So he headlined this one and it was, he had a much better time. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And at the end, he goes, hey, man, come on. We got to go thank him. We got to go thank him. Appreciate, you know, show them we appreciate them coming out here. And it's a meet and greet. It's important. Man. It was great. And it was a really nice lesson. But I stood next to him. And I'm going to say almost everybody came up to him and shook his hand. There were four people who looked at me and said, good job or way to try. Like, I mean, yeah. it was like, it was like, like dude, and I, it was there. I mean, I did five minutes up front. Nobody yeah. was supposed to remember me. I got hit with a, uh, I see why you're the opener. <laughs> you're not hit with that board. You're like, what the fuck, man? Yeah, like I worked hard too. <laughs> yeah. I don't go to your job at Taco Bell and diarrhea and your fucking meat. <laughs> oh, that's, oh, you just ruined Taco Bell for me. Thank you. Uh, that's what it is, man. I love it, dude. I still eat it. I wonder if that's like a, a comedian thing or just like a guy thing. But in every scene up in New York, like there's like this uh, love affair between the comedians and Taco Bell, and it it has bonded me with people. It's just the cheapest one, so I mean, it's the same reason that comedians like PBR. I mean, it's oh, the God. fucking cheapest thing you're gonna get at a bar, so it's the cheapest fast food you're gonna get. I mean, I had a, a friend of mine a long time ago. Uh, he got me to drink PBR, and PBR is whatever; it's fine. But that was a, our college beer, where like it was shit. Like it was yeah. that was our natural lice or natural lice yeah natural that, ice. why not it might as well be that was our natty <laughs> ice that's why nobody says natural ice because they always said natural ice but after i'm done working on the farm i like to crack open a nice cold natural lice <laughs> <laughs> but like it was the worst pbr back then in, in like the early 2000s was horrible and i had a buddy in maryland he's like he's like yeah dude no pbr is good yeah. now it won an award. I go, yeah, it's always been the blue ribbon beer. Like it won yeah. an award at a state fair in like 1944. Like <laughs> get out of here. But I, I don't know. I, I can't drink PBR anymore. I, I think I'm, that was I'm, back when they were like using the cans to make bullets and artillery shells for the war. So like, <laughs> any fucking beer was good back then, man. Right. Like, find off of oh. especially the women that were building all those things. <laughs> they all drink fucking PBR after building rockets all day. Did Rosie <laughs> make it? Because I like Rosie. <laughs> <laughs> Rosie the alcoholic <laughs> that drinks PBR. You know she was after a hard day at work at the factory. She had to drink. So like I and this is you're interviewing me I guess but I, I got to ask a question cuz you know everybody all comics we always get those questions right like the like, you've done interviews you've done podcasts with people that aren't comics and they do the you know who inspired you to do comedy yeah. you know, like just the basic shit but here's one that I feel like any podcast I've been on whether I'm interviewing or being interviewed what's like the weirdest show you've ever done the weirdest like comedy yeah. show yeah, I mean, I guess there's, it's open to any interpretation of how you feel about that. But Well, I did a show one time, and this might not be the one. This is one that's fresh in mind. I did a show in Pennsylvania one time. It was a small town in Pennsylvania, and I was asked to host it. I'm like typecast. Like, I'll host everything, and I will never say no to anything. So mm-hmm. I did it, and I think it was – we had two poets. Oh, I think 
one musician, but maybe two, and then four or five comedians, all of whom were going to do 10 to 15 minutes. So it's a ridiculously long show. And I came down there. producers just never get it. Yeah. And and it was tough because like I was producing a little bit at the time, but like enough to know what not to do. And I don't know if you're like this too. Like if, if you produce stuff, you feel like, okay, well, I don't know if I should speak. Like, I don't know if I should give advice that isn't asked. Like, I'll just, I'm just going to do my job. No, because comics won't listen and then they'll get mad at you for, even though you're telling them something correct, like they'll get mad. And so I I don't ever do that. Yeah. So I told him, I'm like, hey, the only way this might work is if, because he was going to have an intermission anyway. I said, the only way this is going to work is if you just put all the comedians together and how about we do all the other stuff in the front and then we take the intermission and gamble that people are going to stick around. And it did work. But it was just weird because, and I'm glad we did it because the poetry was so depressing. And yeah, it was, like, um, I mean, I mean, you think comedians are depressing, like with the, with the topics, right. like at least we have little punchlines, but it was like suicidal thoughts and attempts and everything. And then we had an intermission and I'm like, thank Christ, because I don't know how I would have followed that and done anything. But yeah. that was a, just a weird setup. And yeah, I don't know if that was the the weirdest show. And on that, one of the comedians there was like stealing memes and things. So like we're in the back, or I guess the front of the room, and just commiserating with the other ones. Like, yep, I found this one. I found that one. And it was just a weird. <laughs> and then I don't think I got paid for it because why would you? Yeah, I mean, I, I, that's something I've been trying to change is making sure people get paid. That's my number one rule in, in the production company that I own. Every If you're booked on a show, you're getting paid. And the yep. minimum of payment is 50 bucks. And uh, that's for like a 10 to 15 minute set. I just feel like we all did it. I mean, I, I, in Phoenix, I started and they always, everybody always tell like you, you'll, you'll find those older comics that are like, you know, just <laughs> begrudgingly shitty fucking road dogs that they always give you that. Uh, you're not going to get good until five years. You're not going to be good until 10 years or whatever. And when I hear that, that means it took you that long to get good. Everybody moves at a different pace, but you know, but because that kind of thing propagates, a system of where they're they know that younger comics are going to do a lot for less and so they take advantage of that and i am doing everything i can to, to make sure that the scene here doesn't have that like we get paid for our time that's how you should do it i i believe so and the way i book is i do everything on a percentage but i have a minimum i'm going to give people mm-hmm. so it could be what i want to do is i want to pay everybody hopefully like five dollars a minute mm-hmm. and if i can do that i feel like okay they're gonna Comedians are going to feel appreciated and they will take my show over somebody else's and yeah. we're going to have fun. And, and I don't want to book dickheads. So if, if I think you're an asshole and you're going to fuck up the chemistry, I don't want you. So yeah. it's a pretty good process to weed people out and create a good atmosphere. So everybody's hey, going to have fun. Tell you this, though, the issue with down here, I was, I'm going to get back to that question in a minute and tell you my weird one, but we're now yeah. we're on this. But the problem down here is, uh, we only have about 10 comics that come out to the open mics on a, on a regular night. So, I mean, it's, if one person gets weeded out, that's a 10th of the comedic population. <laughs> so it's hard. Cause I mean, there are, oh, there, are, I had to still weed some people out in the beginning that were doing things. Like when I first moved here, there was one open mic going on and I watched it and I was watching people do street jokes, people stealing memes, people doing covers of like Rodney Dangerfield and it was no, everybody was okay with it because nobody there was like the people running it weren't actual comedians. They were just bar owners that thought it was a fun idea. So I, there was a lot of uh, Socratic method that I had to use to kind of weed that out. 
know, there was no, there was one incident where I, a guy asked me like, hey, is there a problem between me and you? And I was like, you don't write your own bits. But other than that, he pretty much, like, we never saw that guy again. Yeah, small but problem. Much, it's, uh, the senior is great now. I mean, we got, there's a few issues, but I mean, the problem is if there is shitty people, and there are, there's a few people that I can think of right now that I'm like, I really wish this person would just stop coming to shows. But I still, and I have the power to tell them no, but I don't, you know, I'm just like, you know, open, but the only thing that's going to get you banned from an open mic is if, you know, you start fights or some shit. But anyway, let me get back to that one question because I have a weird one. One of the weirdest experiences of my life. I did this show in San Francisco and it was more or less a mic, but it was like, they kind of booked it. I was just in town and I was like, I really want to get on stage. And I found it was at a strip club. I can't even remember the name of it. It was a strip club where they had a like some like B-list porn star that was going to do a squirt show at the end of the comedy show. <laughs> so it's like, first of all, it's in a strip club. I had to walk in and give the lady up front because they were going to charge me like 20 bucks for the cover. And I had to tell her the password was Eddie Murphy. And then that was what got me access to this. Like it guided me up to this. Like it was a big strip club. They guided me up in this room. It could probably fit like 10 fucking people. And the first part of it was this like hip hop show. That went pretty well. Everybody was there. Like the, the rappers' girlfriends were there and shit. After that show, they all left. So now it's just me and like five other comics and then this porn star and then like some podcast guy. So I did the show and it, I mean, nobody, nobody wants to fucking pay attention to comics when they see a squirt show is about to happen. <laughs> the whole time I'm on stage, there's a, one of those, uh, they call that little high tachi shoulder rubbers. Yeah. Like that was on the stool. I get off. People then start coming in to see this porn star do this. They brought tarps in the front row like it was a fucking Gallagher concert. Oh, my God. Where are the water mounts? wildest thing. I, yeah, I watched it, too. I was like, I'm invested. I got to see this. Well, dude, how could you not watch that? Oh, yeah. Like, okay, even... so, so you're going to tell me about the show. You're telling me all about the show. And my first question isn't how'd you do. It's how was the squirt show? It was great, man. I, I was really concerned that she – I was like, how is she not being dehydrated right now? Like, I feel <laughs> – like she needs to get some water. I was concerned for this poor lady. <laughs> like this poor, this poor asset to society is being dehydrated on the stage for the enjoyment of ten people. Oh my god, that's hilarious! Like I wanted to fucking record it so bad. I would have. I would even though it, I bombed, by the way. But because I mean, nobody came to see a fucking comedy show. They came to see that. But I, I still would have. It would have been worth recording my set and then that just to be like, I did this. Then that would be my Netflix special. Is there any way they would have let you bring a camera in there? No, you can't. We can't. Yeah. They don't let you do that. Strip clubs. I mean, I don't really go to strip clubs like personally, but yeah, they don't like. They don't want you to record, you know, dancers and shit and share it. Yeah, I think I've been to like three or four strip clubs in my life, and um, maybe a little more. But yeah, I thought it was a rite of passage when I turned eighteen. We go to the strip club, and I remember telling my buddy Jeff he wanted to go. I'm like, cool. I'm like, cool, we'll go. It'll be great. And then we were going to go with two guys from work. I went to high school with Jeff, and Bill and Brian were older. Brian's girlfriend got a hold of me in school. She goes, yeah, Brian's not going to the strip club tonight. I'm like, all right, that's fine. And I got to work, and Bill's girlfriend, we worked with her too, she was waiting for us with her arms crossed. And she goes, yeah, Bill's not going to the strip club tonight. I'm like, all right, I guess it's just me and Jeff. And my girlfriend, uh, she's like, hey, uh, do you really have to go to the strip club? I'm like, no, I don't have to go. I said, kind of want to. It's uh, Jeff and I, and I just turned 18. Jeff's been waiting for a while. And, you know, it's kind of something fun, maybe. And she's like, yeah, but I just don't get it. And I said, do you feel like inferior or jealous? She goes, well, I don't know what you're going to do. I said, I am the cheapest man alive. 
I'm going to sit as far back as possible and hope nobody comes and asks me for money. She's like, oh, yeah, I forgot. Have fun. <laughs> Just, <you know. laughs> Well, I forgot that you're broke. <laughs> yeah, it was like I was like I work double shifts and have a rusted out blazer. Like <laughs> we're good, dude. I I went to a, I took acid at a strip club one time and it was a horrible experience. The, the one of the dancers, somebody bought everybody. All my friends knew I was on acid. They, they were trying to fuck with me, you know. They kept giving me lap dances that I just wanted no part of. This one, she had like the fakest tits, and like they were like really hard, and she like motorboated me, and it like. It like hurt, like you could hear it slap, and I was like, "This is painful." End up like shoving her off of me, and I was like, "I want to go home." Like I was like crying in a strip club. I was like, <laughs> so I'm like oh, having God. a bad trip at this point. I'm like having a straight ego death in a fucking strip club. It'd be great if like in in 40 years they diagnose you with CTE, and you're like, you what know what, worth it, worth it. I'm, like I'm a comedian. I don't have health insurance. <laughs> what the fuck? What is that? Oh, yeah, it's concussions. Oh, okay. I have. Yeah. I've had that's probably yeah. why I don't know what they're called. <laughs> <laughs> when did you start doing comedy? Oh, eight years ago. The first place I actually did it was this open mic in San Diego. And I was uh, in the rain still. And my buddies dragged me out. And we did it. I did a mic. And then I didn't go back on stage for like months. And then uh, when I moved to Phoenix, I, uh, I think the first, the, sh- the first show after that was uh, Arizona State University. Cause I went to ASU. They have a like a comedy show that Dave Spade actually started like 20 years ago. Um, but they have like an underground comedy show. And then that was the next one that I did. Uh, did you ever there. meet Spade out there or no? Uh, I went to a show because uh, I don't know if you've ever been there, but ASU is really close. It's like you could walk to the, the campus. You can walk to the Tempe Improv. And uh, I saw uh, David Spade at the Improv. But he yeah. doesn't go to the ASU show or anything. Did he go to ASU? I think he did, right? Yeah, because the- that... That um, there's a because that show they do a sketch show and then an improv show and then a stand up show at the end. And David Spade and his like team started it years ago. And in the dressing room in the back, there's a shrine to David Spade still. And everybody like it's a tradition to like pray to it before you do your show. I cannot imagine praying to David Spade. Yeah, it's like the mediocreest of people to pray to. It's not really the <laughs> deity that like imagine like dying and going to heaven and that's the guy like you got to like talk to to get in yeah like i mean farley is one thing yeah you know, sandler maybe well farley's god and spades the guy at the door he's the doorman if that yeah means. he's what saint peter just letting people in yeah. it's like a- saint spade <laughs> almost sounds racist honestly <laughs> <laughs> like, is that the part of the this is the part of the comedy podcast is this racist <laughs> that, that's about 40 minutes of my podcast so get ready yeah. <laughs> so how long were you in phoenix just a couple years. I was there for five years. Okay. I lived in, technically. I lived in Scottsdale. It's a really great scene out there. I mean, people underscore, it, but a lot of great people have come out of there. Not just they. Uh, fucking. Um, well, Jill Kimmel lives there still, but Ty Rivera is from there. Um, God, there's a few big people. Uh, Andrew Norelli's from there. I can't even think of all. There's a lot of like big people that have come out of there though. I hear Scottsdale, and all I think is like spring training baseball. God, yeah, I used to hate that shit. Like, really? Traffic was, yeah, well, the traffic oh. was fucking awful. Because I lived exactly. right in Old Town where all those, that shit was going on. But yeah. Well, Scottsdale doesn't... I, I started at a club. When I first started, I worked... I was like... I had the military mindset. I was like, all right, I'm going to work at a comedy club and figure the business out from the inside. And uh, so I was a server at this place called Stand Up Scottsdale. And uh, we actually were on Bar Rescue twice. I did that for a while. Developed some bad habits because the owner was kind of a turd. But I mean, I love the guy, but there's some bad. He used to put up like he's well known, like for putting up like 
we'd have guys like Sam Murill, Mark Norman. He would put up like nine beat like guest spots. Oh no! And then he would do time, and then he would do like a forty minute set. And then, and then, like, so now two hours have gone by, and then the headliner's like, dude, what the fuck? Is this normal? And you're like, yeah, man, sorry. Oh, that sucks. I once opened, <laughs> and everybody opens, you know, for Gilbert Gottfried at one point. And yeah. I would say that's a rite of passage for every comedian, just opening for Gilbert. I never and, did it. <laughs> oh, you'll get there eventually. Trust me. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, the the booker got me on there. I'm like, oh, cool, cool. And at first, I'm like, oh, it's just going to be me, maybe one other person, whatever. Ended up being five comedians. and we all did time up front. It was like five, five, nine, whatever. It was staggered. And then there's an intermission, which I thought was stupid. And yeah. then the booker gets on. And he's also, I guess, a comedian. He's not very good. But he gets on and he says, hey, everybody ready for the main event? And everybody, yeah, they applaud. Dude does 15 minutes. And I'm like, oh, you cocksucker. I was like, yeah, that's really annoying. you are also the main event. I get it. But then Gilbert got up there and did like, I don't know, 45 minutes. So I think the show was ended up, must have been like 2, 2.15 with the intermission. Like, no one needs that. You know, for Gilbert yeah. Godfrey, get him out of there. I don't know why, like, I've done, I don't know why people want to include the intermission. It doesn't, like, for what you were talking about earlier with the poetry, I, that makes sense. But, like, yeah. if it's just a comedy show, stop. Like, just. You want the whole purpose of having an open and feature is to warm the goddamn crowd up. Like, yeah. So, so now, if you do an intermission, they got to start all over. Like, yeah, you essentially have two cold openers, and it's like that's yeah. not fun. Yeah. So, and and there was like a, a host on it. It was just a a TV guy. I mean, he didn't do any time, but it was just kind of like, all right, man. Just it was a way for him to get people on the show who are also plugging the show to get more yeah. bodies in the audience. So, so whatever his show. But I wouldn't have done it. I'd be like, okay, well, just give me a good host, a good feature, and Godfrey. That's all you need. Yeah. Like, get that poor guy on the road as soon as possible. <laughs> so go back to New York or wherever he's going. Let me ask you this, dude. Like, you, you produce, right? Yeah. Okay. So I've always been the kind of comment. Well, I'll have like one room, you know, where I kind of, that's my little play playground to kind of figure out like good show formats and, you know, bring people in. And, you know, you start to use it as kind of like, all right, I'll get you, you get me on yours, you know? But uh, now, because I'm here, I run like like all the rooms. And that's lately, I've realized it's been, I've done it for about a year now. And it's really taxing, especially because I'm dealing with most of the comics here are really new. And so I'm having to kind of deal with those new comic egos. But do you feel, in your honest opinion, for you, when you focus more on producing, the, uh, the quality of your actual stand-up goes down? I don't know. Uh, it's hard to say now because I'm going, I host an open mic and... Before the pandemic, I had 14 rooms mm-hmm. and it was all over New York. And a lot of those are monthly shows. So right now I'm, I'm up to seven rooms because I had to I had to get some of them back and new ones or whatever. You're like, but, yeah, you're just like me then. OK. Yeah. So the way my brain works now, I was a journalist, so I've got that writing background. And the way my brain works is that I will give myself a new deadline every week that, OK, well, I want because I've got to, I've got to produce new content. I feel I have to produce new content for the open mic. So maybe five minutes that works. And every month I want to be able to develop a new 10 to 15 minutes so I can do a brand new set at each room. Normally I would say that's stupid, but that's the way my mind works. That's and, no, I mean, that's something that's important. That's how you, I mean, that's the, I asked that because I'm like, how are other people doing this? Because it's, it's gotten hard where, I focus so much time and attention on booking and, you know, making flyers and doing promos and, you know, going looking at my ad accounts 
developing my website, talking to venues, there's just not enough time to write anymore. And that's, it shows because I don't like, I, in the like years ago when I was on the road, I started as a feature and then they moved me up to headliner and I had only had 30 minutes and they were requiring an hour. So like I had to immediately write, you know, a 30 minute set and I did. And uh, well, I mean, not like in one night or anything, yeah. but like I knew that I had to like, cause at first it started with, all right, 30 minutes and then I'll, you know, intermittent with crowd work. And then I finally got to the point where I was like, I had that hour. But with that, that meant in, in about four months, I wrote 30 minutes of good material and was actually testing it. Now, I think in the past year, I've written, written maybe 15 minutes of news. So it's like, you know, I, I guess it's just a timing thing, you know. But I think, yeah, like the idea of organizing time in my day to actually write. But I've never, the problem with me is I've never been the kind of guy that can force myself to write. It's always just kind of come and then I write it. And then because I, I, I write on stage also. So it's, I guess for me, it's a little harder to do to, but maybe I should adopt that, you know. Well, I think for me, I've, I've always been deadline oriented. And yeah. that helps out. I mean, I was a journalist for 12 years, so I kind of work best with my back against the wall. But I don't write as much as I should. I watch a lot of baseball. I'll watch a lot of I'm watching King of Queens now. I'm like, I'll go back into like the 90s. I'm like, OK, what do I want to watch and do that? So I waste a lot of time. But on like Sunday and Monday, our open mic up here is Monday. And I want to go up and host and I'll work on an old bit or two. But I really want to come out with two or three bits that I really think I can work with. And I I don't usually write on stage. If I have a tag or a, I ad lib something, cool, maybe that works. But I used to write on stage a little bit. Eh, it doesn't. I'm not as free flowing as a lot of people are. So yeah, that just works for me. And the way I figure, if I can get one or two bits a week that maybe are two minute jokes, three minute jokes, something like that, then by the end of the month, I've got something. And it might yeah. not be completely a material and I, it might be something I run with for like three weeks and then drop it and come back later and rewrite it and punch it up. But yeah, it's, I never expect for me to hammer something perfect in the first week, you know, maybe yeah. I'll usually I'll let it go for a little bit and then I'll come back to it and then I really fall in love with it. But yeah, yeah that's just, that's always been my style. And I would say there's a, maybe a two year stretch where I tried never to write never to bring something old to an open mic. And that's just foolish. It's hard to do that. I mean, yeah. I mean, it, it's an some of that, there's a mentality where you, a lot, I think, let me ask you this. Is it because you're worried that the comics are, you know, going to have heard it before? Yep. Yeah. And that's yep. the problem is you can't think like that. You don't want to play to the back of the room. They're not buying tickets. Like No. And I get, you know, when you host an open mic, I get so self-conscious. And mm -hmm. if we don't have like last night, we had our mic, and when I started, it was only the comedians. And about mm -hmm. two minutes into my set, we had more people come in. And then it felt better. But I'm trying to work out stuff for a contest, and it's stuff they've heard before. So when I don't get that laugh, it's like, well, does it suck? Or is it because they've heard it three times before? So mm -hmm. I, I almost got nothing out of that open mic, which really blows. But when people came in and sat down, I'm like, okay, the second half of my set worked really well. And I'm really happy about that. But yeah, it's, I am trying to write to show the comedians that I'm still working. But also, yeah. if I have people who, in the audience, who attended last week's mic, I get up there and I'm like, well, I'm starting the show. And I want them to know that one, people are trying new stuff out. And two, every time they come here, they can 
be confident that I'm going to bring them something different. So they yeah. should. There's a value in coming to every week. And that is, I'm sure, mostly in my head. Like they yeah. probably don't give two shits. And they're because yeah. they're not there to see me. They're there to see their buddies. But mm-hmm. I don't know. I, so I get caught in that quite a bit. The one thing that I kind of, because I host, I, I run, well, I host one on Tuesdays and then I, I have somebody else host a mic on Mondays, but it's still like our, my, my show. Um, but the way I, one thing that I've like done is when a new comic wants to sign up, I hype them up. So I don't, you know, like a lot of, a lot of comics do like, they just like, all right, I don't know this guy's going to be fucking funny or not. He's the first time. And then they just kind of like, they feel like it's some kind of rite of passage, but it's like, if <laughs> like if you give them, a little bit of lead and you you let everybody know hey this is this dude's first fucking time and that is exciting all right you this dude may go on to become fucking dave the next dave Chappelle, man you don't know this is you're getting to see you people right now are seeing history with this guy coming on stage and i hype that up so that everybody a knows that it's his first time so they give him a little bit of leeway but now the guy wants to come back because like i said before my biggest weakness is we don't have a lot of a lot of comics so i kind of am recruiting (laughs) i want more comics you have to and so I produce a lot of shows and I almost feel like, and maybe you're the same way. I mean, maybe you don't, maybe it's just by happenstance that, Oh, I only have 10 comedians. So my pool is less, but I feel like I am obligated a little bit to book the newer comedians just so like they don't feel like they're completely stalled. And yeah. I want, I want to put that carrot in front of their face. Like, yeah, if you keep working hard, like yeah. you are, then you get a show. You'll get 50 bucks. Yeah. My, my rule is uh, I don't book you. If you haven't been to a mic in like months, I'm not going to book you. And you know? so my rule is, is how you get booked on based off of how much you grind, you know, at the open mics. And, yeah. it, and that's worked so far. I mean, and when people complain about that and they will, they do. And it's, and it's like, like, well, dude, <laughs> here, here's what I say is that if I haven't seen you in like three months or whatever, I'm like, Oh, I thought you quit comedy. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. Like, like we're coming out of the pandemic and I'm booking shows now. I've got like, I think in August, uh, I'm going to, it's going to be up to like, uh, I, I think I'm going to have seven shows in August. I'm producing so far. So yeah. at that point I've got, you know, it's, I'll, I'll host every one of them. So I've got 21 spots up for grabs and I'm going to try to get people. But the weird part is that even out of the pandemic, I'm still not seeing a lot of people at open mics. So it's like, did we lose them by attrition? Do they just find that, oh, there's actual value in living an actual life? So I'm not going to do <laughs> comedy anymore? It'd be that. I mean, yeah. Well, I mean, more power to you. I, I'm glad you found it before I did. But, yeah. like, I, I don't know. Like, I don't know who is still a comedian. So it's very difficult. So I've had to violate my rule where it's like, well, I want people to – I only want to book people to go to mics. But it's like, dude, right now I am I just got to get bodies on stage okay. to fill out the show. Yeah, I think post pandemic, that's a problem. There's more rooms than there is comics. <laughs> I think I think that's I think that's not just me or you. I think that's everywhere. Yeah, and I understand like there are some people who are like, ah, I don't know if I can fill that time. Like, of course you can't. That's a, that's fine. But what I've noticed, and I don't know if you have too, but I've noticed that coming out of the pandemic, people, the audiences are really welcoming. And yeah. they they are completely yeah. understanding that, hey, we had comedy take it away. And you know, we know you were affected, and please. Let us be your test audience. And if it fucks up, if you need a notebook, cool. And that's what I've been telling everyone. Like, listen, I know you're nervous, but all they want to do is be entertained. And you are naturally funny. You can go to your bits. You can fuck up. And they're just going to be like, please try it again. Have you noticed that too? Well, uh, well, um, (laughs) here's the thing. Uh, (laughs) 
Mississippi stopped giving a shit about the pandemic last June. So we've been doing live shows since last June. So fair enough. We've, we've already gotten past. We, that was the case at first. We've already gotten past that though. <laughs> like this, this, especially there was a moment, I think it was around July of last year. I actually did the research and we had more live shows than anywhere else in the country. No, we were shit. actually the largest scene in the country. I was like, Whoa. Uh, Cause we had, at the time we had like, it was all the venues and none of the uh, none of this is more of a music town biloxi mississippi and most of the venues were like they were just grad they're like you do any kind of entertainment i don't give a shit well but here's money and so at, at one point we had or during that point we had about eight rooms and in eight rooms most of them were weekly and then uh we had some monthly so we had about 12 shows wow uh and i and i'd say six of them were weeklies so it was wild. And then now we're, we're down. What I've been doing now is that was good to kickstart everything. But now what I'm doing is consolidating and moving it to the rooms that actually work, which is I have two rooms, but we have a weekly at both of them. But then we have uh, like book shows throughout the month at both of those places. And now uh, I just the big success. I just booked Todd Berry in August. So. That's fantastic. Yeah, I'm really excited about that one. How is Mississippi in terms of an audience like do they are they really receptive to any comedians i mean is it just i mean i know it's a music town but like are they kind of thirsty for laughter as well yeah it took a lot of i call it terraforming because at first it wasn't you know people didn't understand it and i had to put it took me i wouldn't have booked todd if it was when i first started when i first moved back because yeah it was people that you know would talk through it and you know it was hecklers that didn't know better. You know, it's one thing when you know you go to a comedy club and they're just trying to be a dick. These are people that really they think they're helping the show, and that was the majority. But just through time, and, and you have to be nice because with these open mics, you're at a sports bar or whatever where people just came to see the game, and now I just turned the TV off, and now you know I can't stand when the hosts sit there and like, ah, shut the fuck up, and you're like, dude, that's not you got to gain their trust, man. And then you know if it's a paid show, that's one thing, but. You know, if it's like an open mic, don't do that shit. But just time I've been like, hey, man, like, look, these dudes are fucking brand new at this. I guarantee if you just sit back and like, like check it out for a minute, you'll, you'll laugh. Or if not, like we got a patio out front, out back. You want, you want to have that conversation. But just being nice and then getting them to a point where then they see it. And then because at first there wasn't a whole lot of comics, I would basically have to do my hour at the end of the set or at the end of the night. So it was like an open mic where I was really just headlining because, you know, there wasn't enough comics or if there was comics, they weren't good yet. And and that was what got the attention first. Oh, that's funny. So like this through actually showing them what it is. Now I do have an audience that is receptive and even I would dare say a comedy savvy audience. That's great. And that, I mean, yeah. the scene wasn't great when you got there. I mean, how much pride do you take in the fact that you're directing it in a good way? I mean, not really. Cause it's, it's one of those things where, uh, no, you ask anybody and nobody's going to say that it was like anything I did, did that. But I mean, it definitely, like on textbook, I can look at like the, the work that I put into to, to building that, you know, I'm not, I'm proud of the comics, you know, because they went a lot of, not every single, there was a, there was a few comics when I got back that was like, all right, these are genuine fucking people or genuine comics. But yeah, I mean, there was just a lot of, you know, the, the comics that are trying to be fucking shock value. Like if I say dick and cunt really loud, I'll get a laugh, you know, but uh, I've kind of just through the Socratic method of being like, look, this is what works. And, uh, I mean, look, is, has this been working out for you? Because it seems like you're not really, you know, getting laughs. And <laughs> I'm trying to tell them because at first everybody reject, totally rejected the idea of clean. Because I think like new comics think that when you say clean, it means like 
a church set. And that doesn't mean that. It just means like you don't need to be overly blue because, I mean, these bigger headliners, when they start coming in, they're not going to pick you to open. Because for Todd, I, we have a feature, but his agent told me, hey, you can have a local feature, but we got to approve it. And, and I was like, okay, that's fair. And, uh, you know, they're not going to go for somebody that, you know, talks about diarrhea and fucking AIDS this whole set, you know? <laughs> and I think now they, they get that. I think the comics do get that. But it was a stressful time period of like, why are you censoring me? And it's like, dude, I'm not censoring you, but do you really have to rely on that joke? Yeah, like, you know? I mean... <laughs> I was in a contest one time with this woman who she, I don't know how old she was. She was my grandma's age. I mean, she was in her seventies at least. And she had a bit, I, I don't know if she'd ever done stand up before. Maybe she did. She had a bit about jerking off an elephant. And I'm like, all right, that's funny. The joke is okay. But it's like the context was really funny because here is your grandma talking about giving a hand job to an elephant. Yeah. When the hell else do you say it? But like, I, if you're just saying cunt, to get a rise out of somebody. Like, oh, that's not funny. Yeah. Like there's no joke of that. Like I've worked, I mean, one of the pitfalls of being a young comedian is that you try that shit and then you realize that, Oh, they weren't laughing at the joke or I'm just doing that to get a rise out of somebody. And it's like, well, that's not really comedy. It's not the art form. No. And I, mean, I remember, I, tell, I, I, have, remember jo- I have a joke about a girl that pooped on my floor and then picked up the poop and put it in her purse. Like after having anal sex. I mean, it's not like I don't do blue. But I also don't open with that shit. Like, get their trust first. And then, yeah, because I have little teaser jokes. If I see, if I start to notice, all right, these people really do want the dirty stuff, then I'll bring it out. But, you know, too many people will get up there, like, their first joke is, hey, guys, you ever come so hard you shit your pants? (laughs) Like, holy fuck, slow down, dog. Like, Jesus. But you know what that is? That reminds me of George Carlin, where he comes out and he says something about abortion right away. And he gets the crowd on him. But obviously, they're Carlin fans. They're expecting something like that. Mm -hmm. But, like, I like that style because, hey, here's who I am. Here's what to expect. Get on or go home. And I like that. But when you're just starting. Yeah, you got to earn that shit. (laughs) Yeah. But real quick, to go back, because it just was in my mind, in case any of the local comics watched this. uh, Like, yes, to be fair, yes, I did direct, you know, and organize this whole scene. But. It's not as if I don't have anything without the comics here, you know, so it's not as if they haven't been putting in the work or haven't been doing it. I mean, there's been, you know, ups and downs and like fights with people where I'm just pulling my hair out because I'm like, just just fucking get it, man. Just fucking understand. <laughs> like, holy shit. But I mean, it, without them, I wouldn't have anything. So, I mean, I am I'm telling you now, I have a lot more experience in the comics here. But based off of the if you look at the growth of the local comics here. And like just looking back and when I started, they're better comics than me in terms of like the pace of which they've grown since they started. I mean, I got guys that the, the guy that they, the Todd Barry picked the feature, he's been doing it for a little over eight months. No shit. He's that fucking good now. That dude is a machine. I mean, we, I have really good fucking comics down here. Shout out to Craig Williams, by the way. That's the comic. Maybe I should have been talking to him. Yeah. Yeah. Man, he's <laughs> fucking, he's good. He's good, dude. And he's, He's a breath of fresh air because he's one of the, he's not, he doesn't have the ego of a new comic. He's just like a nice dude, you know? Yeah. Uh, one of my good friends, Steve Brown, if he ever listens to this, we'll see. But he's one of those guys who he's relatively new. I'm going to say three or four months been doing stand up every other week. It's because he got kids mm-hmm. and, you know, he's one of those guys. But he brings people out and he is legitimately <clears throat> funny. He is a good writer. He's a little mm-hmm. blue, but who the fuck isn't? And mm-hmm. he is just, 
a positive person and a good spot in the scene right now. And I could see him doing something. And then if he gets something over me, I would be mad. But, you know, I mean, I love the guy. You got to look at it logically, you know, like that's... uh... It and, happens when, to be like and, that. and you know, what? I can't wait for when he gets good enough and confident enough and just has the reps so I can yeah. say, OK, hey, I want you to open for this show. I, mm-hmm. I'll feel comfortable taking you here because it's going to happen soon. And I just really I'm looking forward. That's part of what I love about having this position where you're almost directing the comedians and scene and organizing these rooms is that you can watch them grow. And yeah, yeah. Oh, like, I remember when you were nervous to do your first open mic, now you're yeah. very confident and you're getting laughs from strangers and you are yeah. thirsty and you want to do it again. There's so much, so many benefits from doing the, yeah. the producing work. Man, I, last night I had, there's a comic here. I started him. Uh, this is a funny one. This guy, I, this was my hometown. I used to just come back once a year and headline the place that's now my open mic. And uh, like once a year and uh, one year I came back and this is a guy that I kind of went to high school with. He just randomly hit me up and he was like, dude, I've been, you know, watching you do comedy for a while. I've really always want to do it. Can I like, and he didn't know the lingo or anything, but he was like, can I do that show? And my first response, my first thought was like, fuck no, dude. But then I was like, you know what? Like, fuck it. Like, cause I knew my thought process was he'll bring like, you know, yep. what you did. But in his first set, I mean, God, it was he, he had the, we call it, we call it, you know the skit Shy Ronnie on uh, Lonely Island? No, I don't the think so. Where it's fucking, uh, what's his, the Andy Samberg and he was rapping like this. And nobody heard it because he was just like real timid. And then last night, I would say, that was like four years ago, three years ago. I moved back and he started, we started doing comedy again. And last night, man, he just had like one of the best sets of the night. So it's, it is great watching somebody's first set, you know, and they were on your show and then, it's still on your show, like they fucking just crush it. What was your first set like? Do you remember the one in San Diego? Uh, I was really drunk. There's a joke that I do about uh, in boot camp about this drill instructor that I, I picked my nose and he made me put it back. Um, <laughs> I, I'm not going to do the bit, but it's that's the punchline basically. And uh, I did that just kind of as a story. Everything else, I was just rambling. I did that story and it actually got a laugh, and that was the that was the hook. But everything I was fucking wasted. So yeah. All my Marine buddies were just like yelling at every, through everybody else's set. So I like, looking back, I kind of feel bad for the host. Like, do you think like sitting in that chair, you could have thought, okay, well, like if somebody told you in eight years, you're going to be running rooms, you're going to be headlining, you're going to do all this stuff. No, I didn't think. I mean, now I'm a little bit more organized in my thinking, but back then I was so fucking just like moving with the flow, doing a lot of drugs, you know, like I was at the time, I remember thinking I wanted to do music. <laughs> Would you play? Nothing. <laughs> so, <laughs> How'd you get that yeah. thought then? <laughs> yeah. yeah. I wanted to. It doesn't mean I was good at it. <laughs> I didn't say that. <laughs> I'm thinking, okay, well, maybe he plays guitar. Like he just decided to go, nope, nope, nothing. No, yeah, I, yeah, I just wanted to do it. <laughs> Those are some good drugs. Yeah. yeah a, lot of, a lot of shrooms and acid and made Molly in the early days of my career. So whatever was going to happen, you're just going to play Grateful Dead, you know, like do dead yeah. covers, something like that. What's weird is like, I don't How long have you been in comedy? Five years only. Yeah. Okay. So do you listen to music anymore? I listen to, do you know, do you I understand listen, the thought process that I'm getting at? I think so. Because like, I, I listen to music, but like, I have been listening to podcasts so much. And most of those podcasts are comedian based that I have to try to listen to music. Yeah. 
I do. I, I, it's sad because I used to, when I used to get in my car, I like had to have music playing. Like I almost never have the radio on when I'm in the car nowadays. Just and not, not because I think, I don't think about it. I don't need it. And, uh, just not a whole lot. Like I, and I, yeah, when I'm on the road, I listen to podcasts like more often than not. I can't do it right before a show though. Cause one time I was listening to the, uh, <laughs> fucking Martin Norman and Joe list podcast. I just listened to that today. And I listened, I was listening to like six hours. And then I did a show in Berkeley and I was the host that night. I opened with, all right, everybody, we're fat, we're gay. And I was like, oh, shit. Oh, God. And my father like, mentioned it. I was like, oh, OK, I guess you guys are you're going to get Mark Norman tonight. Uh, <laughs> so I was like, OK, and now I have to at least have like an hour before I get to the show where I don't listen to podcasts because I didn't realize that Jesus, I was like indoctrinated by fucking Mark Norman for six hours. I, so I listened to that. I went back and and I'm like a completionist. So if yeah. I start a podcast, I have to listen to all of it if I really like it, which is a horrible affliction. And yeah. I remember I probably was in like, I don't know, 40 episodes deep on Tuesdays of Stories. And I came up to do a show in like upstate New York and I told somebody about it. He goes, oh, are you a gay? And I'm like, what? Are you Tuesday? Like yeah, yeah. And I was like, I guess. Yeah. I'm like, I support. I mean, I've never called myself that, but sure. But yeah, that that podcast is awesome, and yeah. it's like, yeah, just free flowing and all sorts. And what's weird is that a comedian who I don't know if you're caught up to date, but like uh, Stephen Rogers, they call him Steve Big Dick Rogers, but he came out of Syracuse. Now he's in New York, but the first open mic I ever did, he was also there. So I'm like, I had that little connection. So I'm like, oh, I, I know who they're talking about. And that's one of the cool parts about that podcast is like, oh, I, I know all the characters. So I feel like I'm there a little yeah. bit. I think I just got, hold on, I just got dragged into a, a fucking stupid thing. It's going to be pretty funny. It's good content. I, this guy made a, like, one thing that I, I've noticed since the pandemic has been back yeah. is uh, the, just people making god-awful flyers, like just those loud, like, Jesus Christ, there's so much text and like, I don't even know what the hell's going on. And so I commented on somebody's and it wasn't like the guy that was a show. It was my buddy that was on the show. And I was like, all I said was, dang, turn your flyer down. I'm trying to sleep or something. <laughs> and the guy, this guy, this name is Dustin Adlaw goes, this asshole was talking about the flyer you worked hard on. I'm like, man, like, I'm sorry, but like, it's fucking rough, bro. Like, there's no pertinent information about where the show is or what time it is, or there's just like a bunch of different faces. And it says, free concessions on it at some point like it just says free concessions that's it like, <laughs> that's it i'm trying do, to pull it up do you do all your firework i do and i know that i'm not that great at it but i at least you know i i had a big problem where facebook rejected my ad account for a while because of like you know the pixels weren't up to code and like the text boxing and shit like that so i just make flyers that has the information it's got the people on it but i can't there's not none of the comics have like good headshots for the most part some of them do so it's like, I can't, they all want their face on the flyer, but I don't want this like really awesome comics headshot. And then some grainy photo that I had to find on Facebook. That's hard to cut out on Photoshop. A buddy of mine up here, he's a really funny comedian in Ithaca. The first show I had him on, I asked him, I'm like, Hey man, can you send me a photo? He sent me a picture of him at his own birthday party. And so I don't know how old he was, but it was him in front of a cake. And I'm like, dude, I can't use that. I was like, yeah. I've got headshots on here. I've got four headshots in an idiot with a cake. Like, I can't do yeah, it. It doesn't work, man. Like, <laughs> I had one, uh, this, uh, she sent me one in the problem. And she wanted, like, we were, I was going to do a, you know, a thing where they all were on there. 
was a professionally made shot, but she is her face was like on a wall like this. Like, so she did this thing where she was kind of like up against the wall, but like, it's so fucking, how do you cut that out? Because then in, I cut it out, but it looks it, like, it looks like something's there. That's not there. So it's like, dude, just give me a shot where you're doing this <laughs> like yeah. right here. Just, I need just, to be able to cut this out. That's all I need. Just straightforward and head up. I don't, I like photos with a mic in a hand and you're a show. Yeah. That's good. I, I love them. What I don't like is I've got people who, oh, I, I like this black and white one. It's like, yeah, I get that. But nobody else on the poster has a black and white photo. So you're going to look <laughs> weird. Yeah. And I mean, best photo I have, I, I host so many shows. I'm yeah. the one who takes pictures. Yeah. So I have like four photos of myself on stage. But like the best yeah. one I have is beautifully shot. It's in color. Only problem is that there's a microphone in front of me, not in my hand because the mic was broken. So it's got like scotch tape on it. And I'm so I'm I got to have something in my hand. So I'm holding a bottle of water. So it looks weird. It's a good shot, though. I'm cool with that. And I can crop it to where it it looks good. But yeah, just give me a shot of a headshot of you on like the in front of a brick wall, something. I have one comedian give me a shot with I'm like, dude, you could you could absolutely see the headrest. (laughs) You could see see the headrest of your car right behind you. Like it's try (laughs) a little bit. Yeah, I mean, and that's, I had an issue where a girl, I had a headliner, and then she was on, this other person was on the show, and uh, on the flyer I had, you know, the headliner is the biggest, you know, and that's the thing, and then I have everybody else kind of on the side, and she was like, I don't like this, so it makes me look like I'm just a side piece, I'm like, you kind of are, I mean, you're the opening act, you're not, this is, she's doing an hour, you're doing like 10 minutes, the focus should be on her, man, I don't know what you want from me, (laughs) like, and I always tell everybody, like, you are more than welcome to make your own flyer and share it. Like, I didn't, you can do that, man. Like, but as far as like my event page and my business page, I got to use A, the things that Facebook is going to like not reject and B, something that looks appeasing, you know? Yeah. And if, if your flyer sucks, I mean, there's a pretty good chance the event's going to suck. Yeah. So like I, I do all my art too. And I use word, man. And that bothers the shit out of designers and it should, but it's what I know. And I'm like, Hey, they're good. They're not the best. They're good. And I'm happy with the, the product, but I don't have to wait on anybody. I don't have to pay anybody to do it. So yeah. I'm taking it. Yeah. You talked about your weird show. Do you remember your worst set you've ever had? Uh, let's see. That's an interesting one. Uh, the worst set that I ever had. Probably I have a recording of it, actually. It was when I was on the road uh, two years ago. I did this show in Washington and... Uh, my feature is a guy named Colin Cook. He actually did great. And uh wasn't a big night. There was probably like 10 people. The problem was two of my friends were actually there, but there was a group of like girls in the front that by the time I got up, they were wasted and they just were not letting me get a word in. And it, the problem was that it got to me. Like I ended up, I was supposed to do 45. I ended up after like 20, just going, fuck this. And I left, I just left the stage. But uh yeah, I mean, it was because I did a joke. I do a joke about like surviving Katrina or I said something about, I don't know how I said it, but this girl is like, oh, you are a refugee? I am refugee. She was like from Serbia or some shit. And I was like, I mean, I, I don't know why like, you're, you're you're coming at me like that, but it just became this, you know, and I, and I a better comic would have just been like either continue the set or just continue doing crowd work. But I, I let it get to me is the, the failure, you know, that was the worst set that I had. I actually have a recording of that shit. I just never, I've never watched it. It's just in there. <laughs> cool. I mean, why would I? <laughs> yeah. Do you think you'll ever watch it? Maybe after this, maybe I'll, uh, <laughs> maybe I'll, uh, you know, jack off to it. That's, uh, <laughs> that I I say, like maybe that'll start a shame spiral and your career will completely devolve. 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that'll be. I can't wait. <laughs> My girlfriend just got home too, so oh, there I, can you go. Hear, I can hear her in the kitchen. <laughs> Where? So okay. So Todd Berry's coming when? Is that August fourteenth? August eleventh. Eleventh. Okay. Yeah, we're getting a lot of more people that are trying to. A lot of guys like that love uh, the small town markets, you know, because people get more excited about, you know, Todd Barry goes to the cellar. Nobody gets excited. But if he goes, you know, comes here, it was like, oh, shit. Well, his book was like, Hattie, or is it? Yeah, thank, you for coming? Hattie, or thank you for coming to Hattiesburg. Yeah. I actually know the guys that booked that, too. Did they put you in touch with them or, or what? No, it was another person that uh, runs shows in Mobile named Zeke that put me in touch with him. I talked to Zeke yesterday. OK. Yeah, yep. Yeah, yeah. We just, he, me, him, and a bunch of the Mobile guys just did a tour together through like, uh, here, Alabama. We have like a multi city run that we do once a month with the, like, kind of the regional comics. How did that come about? Uh, me and my buddy Compton have been, have had that plan for a long time because, you know, the local comics and the re, like, of any scene, I can't really afford to pay them a whole lot for one show. But we figured if we string them all together, you actually could make a little bit of money. So, and then that way, you know, it takes pressure off of each individual scene. So that's kind of how that came about. Yeah, Todd Bear is a good, he's a great get. Yeah. And he just seems like a really, I mean, a particular guy, but like he seems like a cool guy. I mean, have you met him yet? No. No, okay. I've only the only correspondence I've had is through his agent. So Well, I'm sure his agent's a really nice guy. Yeah, I've talked to him. He's you know, they they want they keep wanting like updates on sales, which is like like every week. And I'm like, okay, well, in the show's in three months. <laughs> I mean not not now, but like when we first started, I was like, gee. But uh, I mean, we should. We do have. We have ten sales already, which that far in advance is pretty good. Yeah, I get nervous though. I get nervous um, with something like that, where even the local shows. Where I'm like, oh my god, it's, it's a week away from the show. We've got five ticket sales. Inevitably, they yeah. pick up. And yeah. I've, got, I've got one room that that since the pandemic ended or whatever, we opened back up. That you know that that was in April, not June of last year. But ever since then, it's like, oh, we can count on getting forty tickets sale. Yeah, like oh. Okay, here we go, and it's just—it's been amazing. And so I'm people are just that, lazy. They still—they're still going to be walk-ins that even though they knew about it, they're just going to buy them at the door. Yeah, there's always going to be you know twenty or thirty of those. And how often? Like and how often is Todd Berry coming to Biloxi? Yeah, I mean, hopefully once a year, but we'll see. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, I'm trying to get that Rolodex of the bigger guys out to you know make that happen. But you know, let's go. You as a comedian, like if you, who would you most want to feature for? David Tell. David Tell? Yeah, it'd be the dream. I've actually, that was a quick one because I've thought about that before. I mean, why Dave Tell? I mean, I, obviously he's great. He's also on my wall. You just can't see him. Just structurally is uh, like, I think he's the king of just set up punch, like straight up, you know, he's quick with it. Um, and I, you know, I don't, I've never met him or anything, but I've heard he's kind of like the, uh, like as far as the seller, he's kind of like the godfather almost that kind of guides a lot of the younger guys. So. I feel like with that, knowing that, I mean, I, I could learn a lot from him. Yeah. I, I From what I've heard, Norman and Joe List, they'll say it all the time that he is the best joke writer in the yeah. town. Yeah. And obviously those two are pretty good. And Sam Morell is right there. <laughs> yeah. I, I just remember Insomniac. And when I watched Insomniac, obviously, you know, you look back at it and he was roasting people and he was cutting them off or whatever. He was like, I, getting fucked up. <laughs> I swear to God. I didn't know he was a good comedian when I watched that. Yeah. You know, because he's he's just I mean, it was funny, but yeah. he was just getting drunk and partying with people and going it was like real sex but with alcohol in New York City. Yeah, no, no nudity or anything. Hey. Yeah. I mean, too bad for everybody else because David Tell is David Tell, you know. 
Who, who uh, doesn't want to see him? Oh shit! I got alcohol. That's incredible. Yeah, I. Does your wife want to come over here, or girlfriend, or whatever? Yeah, yeah. Jessica. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all I have is all I've got is uh, ocean spray, uh, Cran Tropical, and I had right, to get that gotta, myself. We got to talk about dowry now. Uh, <laughs> three goats and maybe a few. You're in New York, so a few pigeons will probably do. We don't have Take a lot of those. Yeah. All right. I haven't seen a pigeon in Binghamton, New York in a long time. So actually this guy, this story, we're talking about Sam Marill. this story, cause I emailed their podcast, the uh, keeping Joe and they yeah. actually read this email on one of the episodes, but I, uh, I have a funny story about Sam. When I was working as a server at that comedy club, I was telling you about, he came in and uh pretty fat night. The investors showed up. Now this is, they would show up and we always hated them because they would heckle and like, just be fucking ridiculous. Like the, the main guy that I'm about to talk about, is one of the main guys that owns Bang Bros, like the porn site. Oh, yeah, yeah. The, the dude's a piece of shit. But I've heard anyway. of it, by the way. I, I've never watched it. I've heard of it. <laughs> but they, him, is like a big thing. When they're like heckling me, we couldn't do anything because pretty much they basically own the place. You know, they can't really kick him out. And uh, they're just fucking with everybody through their set. Sam gets up there. He's probably been up for 10 minutes. And an argument starts between these two dudes that they're at the table with a Bang Bros guy and then somebody else. And they're both pretty big guys. And uh, they weren't, it wasn't an argument. It didn't have anything to do with the comedy show, something just personal. And they start arguing. And finally, it's a packed, packed room. And, you know, it's a comedy club. So everybody's packed in pretty tight. Finally, the uh, Bang Bros guy just reaches up and decks him in the head like as hard as he could. And they get into a, at a straight, not like a, we're like wrestling, but like, de- like just trading blows to a point where like blood is squirting on audience members. Tables are getting like people are leaving there. I mean, I lost money that night because people just walked out of their tabs, you know. And uh, I mean, this whole and Sam just is up there and is like, he just sits down, like, I'm not gonna do time during this. You just kind of watch what happens, you know. And you know, we, we, this is point, it doesn't matter that you own the place, we got to call the cops. So they got there, you know, it was a whole thing. And uh, at this point, we're now at half capacity, half the people left. And it's like the sad thing, I'm literally mopping the floor of blood. All right. And Sam's up there and this was his moment. I'm like mopping and he's like, I don't remember how he did it, but he starts doing this like sing song thing. Like, and the sad old server mopping up the blood. At the <laughs> he just starts doing this sing song thing and it starts getting everybody back. And man, he like, I saw him nail that whole set after like, after like the, the, the most nightmare scenario that could happen, you know, if you're headlining and he just fucking nailed it after that. I can't see him frazzled or anything. Sam Rall always talks about how bad Naples, Florida is. Yeah, and, yeah. And I'm sure it's horrible, but I cannot see that guy not having a good set. Yeah, I know. It's crazy. I love, you know, that, that bit that he does about New, that New Orleans cop? Yeah. Where he like makes him read his joke book. He's like, worst piece of shit ever. That's like my favorite joke, man. <laughs> if you, okay, like, let's say, who who do you think of the three, of Joe List, Mark Norman, and Sam Morell, who do you think is the best comedian? Sam. Sam, for right? sure. Me and Mark are Eskimo brothers. <laughs> oh, nice. Oh, shit, my girlfriend's here. There <laughs> <laughs> was this uh, server that was working there at the time, the same weekend, too. So As the fight? No, 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 no. Like, the me and Mark hooking up with that person. Oh, got it, got it, got it. This is not noteworthy stuff. I don't know why I'm talking <laughs> about this. This is... I just come off as a fucking tool piece of shit right now. Yeah, this is <laughs> just a humble brag. <laughs> yeah, it's a humble brag, and it's like not even a valuable one. I don't know. Go listen to Tuesday's stories again, and like, like I think all of us are like six degrees of separation between us and Mark Norman. Oh yeah, that's true. He's like a he's like a sex addict. He's like a he talks about it on his podcast. If you get it, 
you can get it. You know, go for it. You know? I just heard my girlfriend talking shit, so I'm probably in trouble. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I spend far too many hours a day watching Full House that I'm not a sex addict. I'm I need help for other reasons. <laughs> Full House is what did it. Hey, uh, Uncle Joey is awesome, man. Like Joey Glasser, yeah. give me a bit. Uncle Joey is one hot piece of ice. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> no, from experience. <laughs> and there we go. Chris Farley and Sandler. Uh, so where do you see, I mean, obviously you're producing now. I mean, do you see yourself going a comedian route in the future or are you just kind of riding it out to, you know, hey, it's working? Yeah, I mean, my neck, the, the, the one thing that I've been working on lately is finding sponsors because one thing that I'm trying to pitch, I actually recently got a TV credit, but not for comedy. Um, and I met a lot of the, it's for a show called uh, Great Escapes with Morgan Freeman. But uh, I met a lot of the production people up there. It's a production company in Mississippi. And there's, we've kind of been sort of in talks about potentially having a uh, landmass, uh, like a Netflix special where it's kind of like for the best comics here. So that's kind of the biggest, the biggest dream and plan that I have right now. And just finding the funding is the hard part, but that's where most of my day right now is spent trying to do that. That's great though. I mean, I, for me, like I, I want so badly to get people opportunities that, and mm. I don't know if you feel the same way. Like, I don't know where, like the next spot, like, like in Mississippi, like in Biloxi, like, like where is the next step for you? Like, like if comedians start there, where is their goal? Is it New Orleans? Is it Orlando? Is it still New York, LA? Uh, I mean, I haven't really, cause New Orleans, I lived in New Orleans for six, about six months. And that's not, a, I don't, I didn't have a good experience with that scene and not necessarily because of the comics. The problem there is if anybody's producing what happens is, especially when you're running shows around the French Quarter, which not all of them are at the French Quarter, but they're at least close enough to be in that area. If you go to Binghamton and you talk to a venue and pitch an idea of doing a, a comedy night there, they're probably going to ask you, well, how many people can you bring? Yep. A valid question. In New Orleans, the question is, well, we're already going to have people. Why should I pay you? So, and at the, what the, what's happened, in my opinion, is that sense of uh, like a lot of comics just not getting paid has led to like it being even more you know, dog eat dog, because I mean, <laughs> the most money I've ever made, and this was after I kind of established myself as a headliner, it was like seven bucks, you know, at a show. And that's pretty much the average. And it's basically tip bucket money. Oh, wow. And then musicians don't fare much better. I mean, people like bands that work crowds on Bourbon Street get like 30 bucks if they're lucky. So well, they're all street musicians, too. Yeah, I mean, that's and that's the same. I had a comic that was he was like homeless. And he was like, he would do a thing where he would charge you a dollar to roast you. Like on the yeah. street, and he would, you know, he would do time on the mics. But I mean, that was—it's just—it's too dog eat dog in New Orleans uh, compared to other cities. So I don't know that that's ever the market. I think uh, Austin's the big one right now. Oh right, right. Yeah, but I don't know. Right lately, I, I did have one guy move to New Orleans recently, but I think it was for like a job. So something productive. Yeah, it wasn't like because the scene was any better. Well, I wonder with myself, like I. I feel like I'm producing so much that sometimes I feel like, okay, well, if I ever do want to leave, am I going to fuck a lot of people over? Like, is the scene going to come with me? Like, I, I don't know. I don't know who can pick up for me. And not that I'm doing so much that nobody else could fill my shoes. I just don't yeah. know who would. So do you, yeah. do you ever think you're in that position where it's like, okay, well. Yes. I've, okay. I'm afraid so hard. I don't, I'm afraid that I, I get fearful a lot because I don't want, if I step away, I don't want somebody if anybody does pick it up, I don't want somebody to come in and fuck it up. You know, yep. something that I've worked so hard to build. Like I'm afraid of leaving it in, in somebody's hands that's ill prepared to do the job, you know, cause it's, people don't realize like 
like doing the producer thing, it takes a lot out of you, you know, because you have to step back from being what you really doing what you really want to do, which is perform. I still get on stage, but it's like you you can definitely tell. I mean, I think the comics can speak to it. Like around here, there's definitely a difference between when I first got back to like where my stage performance is now. You know, like it used to be like, holy shit, that's a fucking real comic, and then now it's kind of like. <laughs> Just because I don't, I mean, I'm literally like taking tickets and talking to comics, making sure they're good, doing seating, doing the lighting, setting up the speakers, and then immediately going on stage so to show. You know, I don't get that chance to like sit down and go, all right, what am I going to do? I don't get the chance to read the room before I go up. It takes a toll of you. Dude, that's exactly how I do it. And it's fun because I'm setting people up and I feel like a lot of times I'm like this complimentary role where it's like, okay, as long as I don't fuck up the flow. At the beginning of the show or, you know, in between introducing comedians, I did a great job. And it is amazing when I can get booked on somebody else's show and don't have to set up the equipment or take tickets or fuck with the lighting or ask the bartender to turn down the music, something like that. And I could just do 15 to 20 minutes at the end of the night. I mean, like, wow, I, I feel like, wow, I, I am funny. And like all these jokes, they do work. It's just I'm not playing to a cold audience. Like that's, yeah. that's part of it. So I, I don't know. I do you get a chance to, I mean, go to mobile or anywhere yeah. else and like stretch your legs a little bit. Yeah. That's, that's kind of my, my answer to it is that's why I wanted to hop on that tour in Florida. Me and some of the other producers were talking about like that same emotion. And uh, yeah, when I went on that tour, it, it felt great. Cause I felt like I was a comic again. And so that's, I think the, the trade off is if I could just get out of town gigs, that'll make me feel like more like a comic again, then it'll, I'll, it'll be a good balance. I would guess that it would just regenerate your spirit too. Like, oh, oh, like I'm working my ass off at home, but also it's paying off because yeah. I get the validation of you know people coming up to me after a set and be like, oh man, I love that. Yeah, again, you know, yeah, man. Well, has this been a good podcast? Like we've been going for no, no, it has been okay. mediocre, but it's okay. All right, that's good. When you want mediocrity, Krangus Gillespie is your man. <laughs> oh yeah, that reminds me, Krangus. I can't believe I went more than an hour without asking about Krangus. Like, oh, like uh, how'd you get that name? I mean, is it a birth name or? No, my real name is okay. Chris. Me and my best friend and my current girlfriend were at a party at my house in Arizona and we were on acid and he kept trying to say my name, Chris, and he just kept yelling Krangus. And it just kind of <laughs> stuck. Yeah. It's not like it's really not. It's really more of a had to be there story than anything. And then I, what happened was I changed my name on Facebook as a joke. But then people started, I, then I realized I would go to shows and I would get more followers because the name is a lot more, it's easy to remember. There's like a hundred Chris Gillespie's in the world, but there's only one Craigus. So I just was like, fuck it. I'll keep that name. <laughs> like, So when did you make that switch? Like three years ago, four years ago. Have you seen it pay off? Yeah. I mean, I, like I said, I, I go to shows and like people ask me that question and uh, it's easier to find me on any of my social media posts. Obviously. Uh have you done material with it? Like, uh, like, Hey, this no. is okay. Okay. I actually haven't, I should probably, but I've never, it's more of a, cause I, I have a, a lot of energy when I go up there. So it's more of like a war cry. Krangus! Like I'll do that kind of stuff. But <laughs> there's not like a bit behind it really. Cause I think one time somebody, like I, I was on the road with Anthony Capper and their host, where I brought up his feature and he was like, uh, said something to the effect of, ah, when I first met Krangus, I thought he was a vengeful Norse God. But I mean, there's not really a, I just haven't thought of one, I guess. I don't know. Yeah. Cause if it's just like a throwaway store, it's like, well, yeah, he just got high in acid and mm -hmm. couldn't say my name. Right. Yeah. Uh, that's, yeah, that's, that's all it is. It's not that interesting. 
There's that mediocrity we talked about. (laughs) Man, you do it so well, though. You do mediocrity so well. I don't think it's mediocre anymore. That's a problem there. Yeah. (laughs) This has been so much fun. Uh, Thank you for doing this. How can people follow along with you? Obviously, it's Krangus. Everybody else, do they just search Krangus and anything that pops up, follow that? Yeah, well, I'd say, honestly, the, the production company, LandmassEntertainment.com and then Landmass Comedy, that's, that's the, uh, if you want to know the story, that's a better story, actually. The Landmass name came from, uh, we actually got hit by Katrina pretty hard, actually more so than New Orleans, but they got all the headlines to the point where the Weather Channel and several other news stations, when they were talking about the damage, like here on the coast, they kept referring, they didn't know what Mississippi was, they kept referring to us as the landmass in between Alabama and Louisiana. You're kidding me. And every year, every hurricane season, last year we had, they called us, uh, they said a hurricane hits Michigan. So they call us (laughs) Michigan. That that became a thing. I would would get on stage and be like, what's up, Michigan? Like there was a, they call, because I live in, we're in Gulfport right now. And they refer to it as Gulfport, Alabama. They do every year, like the Weather Channel just absolutely fucks it up. Like, so we just kind of stuck with it, Landmass. That's pretty good. So Yeah, Landmass Comedy on Facebook and then LandmassEntertainment.com. And Todd Berry's August 11th. Yeah, that's a good one. 20 bucks, pre-sale, 25 at the door. You know, He's a pretty good comedian. Yeah. This agent told me I have to pick him up in the airport. I hope he's okay with a 2003 Ford Taurus because that's what I got. <laughs> he's going to have to be cool with it. I've listened to all of his podcast episodes, and they're so infrequent anymore. I don't know if he's doing it. But mm-hmm. I think as long as he's got... I don't know if you can take care of his miles for him on the airplane or and if, if you don't charge him, I think he's very thrifty. So yeah. I think if, as long as you do that, you're going to be fine. Yeah. Dude, again, man, thank you so much for doing this and best of luck with Todd Berry and everything. Oh yeah, man. We'll talk to you soon, dude. You got it, man. Thank you. Peeling back my sunburnt skin. I'll wait outside your bedroom. I hope they let me in.